0: And it is Cameroon who kick off the 33rd Africa Cup of Nations.
1: On January 9th, Africa began its biggest biennial football tournament, the Africa Cup of Nations. Postponed a year because of the pandemic, the tournament will pit 24 of the continent's top teams against each other over the course of one month in Cameroon. Some of the brightest stars in football will be playing, like Liverpool's Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, who will represent their home countries of Egypt and Senegal. But despite the celebratory fervor in Cameroon, there's some concern about how the tournament has been portrayed in the lead-up to the Games.
0: Is there ever a tournament more disrespected, more disrespected than the African Cup of Nations?
1: I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take.
0: Why is this tournament constantly, constantly getting so much flack?
1: And that's Ian Wright. He's a former English football or soccer player. Now he's a sports pundit for channels like the BBC and ITV. And this social video he recorded really struck a chord. It was viewed hundreds of thousands of times each on TikTok and Instagram. And his commentary got write-ups in major news sources, from Reuters to ESPN. (laughs) So on Thursday, shortly before the Africa Cup of Nations began, we called up someone who'd been following the tournament prep to see what she thought.
0: My name is Asha Komgisher and I'm an African football journalist.
1: I want to start off with this TikTok video that's been making its way around. It's from former England player Ian Wright. And in it, he asks whether there's any tournament more disrespected than the African Cup of Nations or AFCON. So for listeners who might not be following, is he right?
0: Well to be very honest with you when you look at the coverage of uh, the Africa Cup Nations you think that it you know it's been biased when you see how especially western media tries to portray the African continent it's a little bit unfair to the players who've trying to represent the countries that they come from and to everyone really that loves the beautiful game on the continent and is trying to just you know see these superstars When you see how fans talk to Sadio Mane, how they talk to Mo Salah back home, you get the feeling that it's more than football. It's, in most cases, it's like a religion. Mane seals the victory right up the death. I was in Dakar about three weeks ago and seeing all these graffiti uh, images on the streets of Dakar of Sadio Mane and seeing how people love him and how, you know, how, how much it means for a player like that to play at the highest level on the continent, it just gets you emotional. There's a video that is going around on social media of a group of fans of Sadio Manik and they're playing this music and celebrating him and dancing really and enjoying seeing him back home. You just get the feeling that there's so much to it. So it's just a beautiful thing to see what that means for the players.
1: So Usher's enthusiasm for the Africa Cup of Nations is infectious. But she did go on to say quite a bit about how the tournament's not getting its due abroad, especially in Europe.
0: The first example I'll give you is uh, the letter that was written by the European uh, Clubs Association.
1: If you couldn't tell from the name, that's the group that represents the interests of European football clubs. And those clubs all had matches scheduled during the African tournament. FIFA, the international football governing body, has an agreement with those clubs. They'll let African players like Mo Saleh and Sadio Mane go play for their country while the tournament is taking place. But that doesn't necessarily mean the clubs are happy about it. And that led to this letter that Usher mentioned, addressed to FIFA. European clubs are threatening not to release players for the Africa Cup of Nations. The European club association has been lobbying for the postponement of the tournament.
0: European clubs have expressed concerns over the health and safety protocols, whilst also saying that due to the quarantine time for returning players, they believe this will be too disruptive uh, to the respective uh, seasons of European clubs. When you look at uh, the ECA letter and the details, you know, getting worried about COVID-19, when the Euros was played across 11 countries, it was not a problem in Europe last summer. And now it's a problem that the Africa of Nations is played in one country in Africa. I think that's hugely unfair to the African continent. I think a better attitude really has to be financed or created towards uh, the African continent in the general grand scheme of things.
1: The letter led to rumors that the tournament would be canceled, which didn't pan out. But it wasn't too popular with the Confederation of African Football, or CAF. Here's the organization's secretary general. There is an association that says European
0: clubs are not going to release players. As far as I know, they are not the employers of these players because players have individual contracts and the release of players is dictated by FIFA regulations.
1: Besides COVID, clubs may have had another motive for wanting the tournament postponed. According to FIFA rules, Any player selected by their home countries should have been released by the club 13 days before the tournament began. That's meant to give them time to practice with the national team. That deadline would have been on December 27th. But the Premier League, England's highest level of club football, scheduled some pretty big and pretty lucrative games after the Christmas holiday.
0: From a Premier League point of view, Liverpool played against Chelsea. That's a very big game. Liverpool were thinking we're going to lose our two best players in Sadio Mane and Mo Salah. Uh, Chelsea were going to lose their best goalkeeper, Eduard Mendy, who, by the way, has been shortlisted for the best goalkeeper for the FIFA, the best award. Yes, I understand where they're coming from, but it's, this is not something new. Since
1: 1957, the Africa Cup of Nations has been played every other year in January and February. The exceptions to that were 2019, when it was held in the summer in Egypt, and last year, when the tournament was postponed because of COVID. Originally, the plan for this edition of AFCON was to continue the trend and hold it in June and July. It's an emptier time in the calendar for international players. But there is a pretty big problem with that plan. The weather.
0: The truth of the matter is the continent is huge. In North Africa, in June-July, it is like summer in Europe and perhaps the USA. However, in June-July, it's winter in South Africa, for example. If you say June-July in Cameroon, it's the rainy season. And I mean rainy season floods, like some people are perhaps losing their lives. But they have to understand. They have to understand that it is what it is. There's nothing much we can change about the weather. So I think that people have to be more open-minded about the continent. And I think this is a call, really, for them to um, understand that Africa is unique. It's not Europe. It's not North America. It's not South America. It is Africa. It is what it is. And people need to embrace it the way it is.
1: In the end, FIFA compromised on the regulations. It said clubs could hold on to players until January 3rd, instead of releasing them on December 27th, so they could play some of those high-profile club matches. But the whole incident spurred a lot of conversation about attitudes in Europe towards African football. In the weeks that followed the letter, some members of Europe's football community came out to defend the Africa Cup of Nations, to explain why it was so important that the clubs let players go and to support players who are being pitted between club and country. Like Ian Wright.
0: There's no greater honor, none as a sports person, than representing your country. The coverage is completely tinged with racism, completely tinged.
1: And Patrick Vieira, a former French player born in Senegal, who now manages a British club team.
0: If there were more coverage, in that competition, I think people will understand more how important it is for the African continent.
1: Another defence came from Sebastian Haller, a player for the Dutch club team Ajax. Usher told me how he reacted when a Dutch newspaper asked whether he'd choose to represent his home country, the Ivory Coast, or stay in Europe to play club games.
0: He came out and said, how can you ask me if I will go to represent my country? It's an honour. When you wear that jersey and you sing the national anthem, you're representing millions of people back home. And it is serious business. And just to finally uh, give you another example, Andre Onana, the goalkeeper of Cameroon, recently did an interview with the Players' Tribune, and he said when he was growing up, his dream was to play at the Ahmadu Ahijo Stadium, which is the biggest stadium in Yaoundé. He said his dream was not to play the Camp Nou or at the Barnaboo or at Old Trafford or uh, whichever other big stadium you can think about in Europe. His dream was to play in that stadium. Why? Because that stadium is where big names like Roger Miller, Samuel Eto'o, Batson, that's where they played. And that sort of helps you to understand how important this is for the players.
1: So here is something that my producer and I didn't know before we started looking into this topic. And it's that AFCON actually predates its European counterpart tournament. The African Cup of Nations started in 1957. Now, I know that you weren't there when that happened, but what do you know about what it looked like and how it's evolved since then? The Africa
0: Club of Nations first edition took place in 1957, and uh, that tournament was held in Khartoum. The first teams that took part were Egypt, Ethiopia and Sudan. At the time, South Africa was expected to take part, but there was uh, a ban on them because of the apartheid regime. So it was just three teams. And this came at a time when Africa was trying to come together. It's a time when countries were trying to get independence. For when this day is
1: over, Accra becomes the capital of Ghana, an independent nation with progress towards independence has been a model for all to see. So one more African country becomes a sovereign
0: state. So the leaders at the time, your kwame Kurumas uh trying to say how can we use sports? to bring the continent together and basically have a continent that is united.
1: And as more African countries gained their independence, the tournament expanded too.
0: And uh, when you see the growth of the tournament, so then you had eight and then you have 16 teams, and now it's down to uh, 24, which is almost 50% of uh, the continent.
1: This year, the Africa Cup of Nations has a couple of new attendees. The Gambia and Comoros are both participating for the first time. As it's grown, the Confederation of African Football has often had quite an up-and-down relationship with FIFA, one that reflects the uneven playing field in the sport.
0: I'll go back to the time when Sepp Blatter was uh, the president at FIFA.
1: Sepp Blatter, if you don't remember, led FIFA from 1998 until 2015, when he stepped down in scandal.
0: Today, the most powerful man in soccer walked away. Sepp Blatter resigned as head of the world governing body as most of his top lieutenants face bribery and corruption charges. For all his downfalls and problems at FIFA, there was always a feeling that he had the interests of the African continent at heart. Especially you have to give it up to Sepp Blatter for at least finding a way for Africa to host uh, the World Cup in 2010.
1: Here's Blatter talking about that World Cup in the months before it was held.
0: There was a lot to do and to change and to convince people in our organization of football, FIFA, that one day they will accept that we will give back something to Africa, Africa that has given so much, not only to the world, but to the world of football also. The more you think about it, how exactly is it possible that it took until 2010 for a tournament that has always been hosted since 1930 for Africa to host a first ed- Like, as they say, it's unbelievable that it took us that long. Now, moving on to the current relationship between FIFA and CAF, I feel that there's a bit of disrespect.
1: After Blatter's tenure, former CAF leader Issa Hayatu stepped in as acting president. By 2016, he was replaced by Gianni Infantino, who heads FIFA now.
0: I think that, honestly, Infantino has to rethink his attitude towards the African continent when you look at, for example, the CAF presidency.
1: Infantino came under some fire during the Confederation of African Football elections last year. He personally traveled across the continent to visit the contenders for the CAF presidency encouraging all of them to drop out in favor of other positions. The only exception was the South African billionaire, Patrice Motsepe, who eventually won the gig in an uncontested election.
0: He never does that on any other continent. Why was he doing that in Africa? Why is he directly interfering in everything that's happening on the continent?
1: Motsepe is nearly a year into his tenure. Usher says she's waiting to see what he'll do for African football. But one move he's already made is to stand behind a controversial Infantino policy, to consider holding the World Cup every two years rather than every four. It's a move that would be incredibly profitable for FIFA.
0: When you look at Infantino fronting a World Cup every two years, it's unfair. It's unfair to say that uh, you want the World Cup to happen every two years. One, because the Africa Cup of Nations is already happening every two years. So what does that mean for the continent if we're going to have a World Cup every two years? It's not good for the Africa Cup of Nations. But also, secondly, Infantino is fronting money. He's fronting money as uh, a way to say you're going to have more money if you play uh, a World Cup every two years. But what about the players?
1: One big concern is that holding the World Cup every two years would overwork players who are contending with more and more games. And then there's the matter of World Cup slots. Right now, the World Cup has space for 32 teams. Five slots are reserved for members of the Confederation of African Football. Meanwhile, 13 slots are rewarded to European teams.
0: I think that's very unfair, and normally it should have been corrected when FIFA decided to expand the World Cup to 48 teams, when you think about it. But instead, Europe was added three slots, so that is 16 slots for Europe, and Africa does not even have 10.
1: The expanded 48-team World Cup which will be held for the first time in 2026, will have nine slots dedicated specifically to African teams.
0: I think that's unfair to the African continent, really. And some people will say, look, all the five teams that played in Russia.
1: That would be the 2018 World Cup. Did not make
0: it past the group stages, but if we had 13 slots, for example, perhaps some of the teams could have done a better job because then they are spread out. And if they continuously play at that level, then you have a better chance to do a good job. So these are some of the things that really we need FIFA to look into. But politically, when you look at the landscape, it's not going to change.
1: So we are technically out of 2021 but this is still AFCON 2021. And we are speaking on Thursday, January 6th, which is a few days ahead of the time when you head to Cameroon to cover the tournament. You have been to past AFCONs before, so can you describe the scene?
0: well the first thing you need to know is that cameroon is an african football powerhouse the people in cameroon are crazy i don't think i can find another superlative <laughs> to describe them <laughs> it's the first time in 50 years that cameroon is hosting the african Nations, and they are dying to see all these superstars can you imagine if every day you watch, you know, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Riyad Mahrez, Edward Mendy, you watch these guys on television and now you can see them in the stadium. So that excitement already there. And just to give you more context on that, before the tournament, around December of last year, only 1% of Cameroonians were vaccinated for COVID-19. But CAF and the local organizing committee said for anyone to try and attend the games, you should be vaccinated, at least one dose, and you should have a negative PCR test result. Hello, the entire Cameroon <laughs> is running to the hospitals. What an incentive. <laughs> yes, to make sure that they get vaccinated, you know. And, uh, you know, that's sort of, that's the excitement that is happening.
1: I will say that for people outside of Cameroon who are also excited about the African Cup of Nations, one of the things many people on Twitter note that they are looking forward to are your tweets. So we have a month of matches ahead of us. What are you most looking forward to? What should we look out for?
0: Well, there's uh, so many subplots there in the tournament. There's going to be, for the very first time, a female center referee at the tournament. It's incredible. It's a big state for Salma Mukansanga, who is uh, from Rwanda. Uh, for her, you know, to be officiating at the biggest tournament on the African continent is huge. Yes, for her as a woman, for Rwandan women, for African women, and also really women referees across the world. Uh, But also it's incredible to note about the coaches. For example, you have 15 African coaches on the continent coaching the teams where they come from. It's a huge sign and symbol to show that more and more national federations are trusting uh, African coaches to do the job. In the past, it's always been a lot of French and Belgian coaches, but now there's more confidence with the locally best uh, coaches. So, just so many stories around uh, the tournament that are very
1: exciting. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliay with Ruby Saman, Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilvey, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Fenton is our story editor. Aya El-Milek is our engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back.